Hey everyone, it's Joel. In this episode, I'm going to do my best. I promise I'm going to do my best. I don't promise that I'll succeed, but I promise I'll do my best to keep this under 10 minutes. So with that said, let's get started, shall we? In the previous episode, I asked this question, what does reparations refer to? In this episode, I want to try to rehearse some of the things we talked about regarding how to make reparations for historic injustices against African Americans. So there are various proposals. Like you have to understand, there isn't just one proposal for reparations. Like the reparations movement is really nuanced and there are different arguments and different policy proposals and different recommendations. So if someone you're talking to tries to pigeonhole the reparations movement as saying like it, it's requiring this one thing, just maybe suggest that like there's more nuance to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a particular proposal for reparations that comes from Darity and Mullen's recent work from Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. So <clears throat> William Darity and Kristen Mullen, really, really wonderful people. Um, they're a married couple. And uh, William Darity is an economist and Kristen Mullen uh, is a historian. And they, were, they wrote this book together on reparations, and it came out a few years ago, so it's super fresh and super interesting. And so let's just talk about their view of reparations. So first of all, they think that we need to make reparations for historic injustices against African Americans. Which ones? Like, this is, a, this is an important question to ask. Which historic injustices matter? And if they think that we need to make in, reparations for slavery and Jim Crow, as well as all of the policies of the 20th century that disenfranchised African Americans from all these wealth building opportunities. Some of the ones we talked about in class, like redlining and exclusion from uh, these newly created suburbs across the United States. Okay. So how is that going to work? Well, one thing you can do is you can ask something like this. How much how many, how, what's the, what, what is the value of all the wages that were lost due to in, in, uh, slave labor? Um, and you can calculate, and people have made these calculations trying to like ask, like if someone worked for say 30 to 40 years and they got the ordinary wage that one would receive for doing that kind of work plus interest and so on, you can like calculate how much that would be and then multiply it by the number of enslaved people throughout this 150 year period of American chattel slavery. And you can come up with this like really massive number. And interestingly enough, Darity and Mullen, they consider that view, but they want to go in a different direction. For them, everything comes down to the wealth gap. Everything comes down to the wealth gap. And remember, currently the median white wealth is 10 times the median black wealth. There is a massive gap between the wealth of black people and the wealth of white people. And wealth, as you know, is a very important uh, determinant of social flourishing, of social mobility. Um, it allows you to endure uh, economic crises and economic setbacks. It's what allows you to invest into your kids and invest into business startups. And as they argue in their book, African-Americans were prevented from from enjoying a lot of the wealth building opportunities that whites were able to pursue. I mean, for most of us history, really. Right. So like when you're an enslaved person, you aren't creating any wealth. And then after that, the Jim Crow period, the United States en enacts all these policies that 
both federal and state and local governments enacted that largely prevented African-Americans from reaping all these wealth-building opportunities, home ownership, and so on. So Darity and Mullen think that those injustices and those discriminatory policies led to the current wealth gap. And there's a lot of good research suggesting that that is true. The wealth gap we have today is largely the result of these 20th century discriminatory and exclusionary practices that disenfranchised black Americans, but enfranchised whites. And so they write something like this. We view the racial wealth gap as the most robust indicator of the cumulative economic effects of white supremacy in the United States. The most robust indicator of the cumulative economic effects of white supremacy in the United States. So, their proposal is to tackle the wealth gap. We need to enact policy and offer compensation that is going to address that wealth gap. And they estimate... Uh, based on their calculations, that this would require 10 to $12 trillion. 10 to $12 trillion. It's a lot of money. And they also argue that the federal government must finance this. This is not just something that the state should do or that local institutions or banks that were complicit in these discriminatory practices should do. No, the federal government must do it. So they write that the invoice for reparations must go to the nation's government. The invoice for reparations must go to the nation's government. The U.S. government, as the federal authority, bears responsibility for sanctioning, maintaining, and enabling slavery, legal segregation, and continued racial inequality. So how do they propose we tackle the wealth gap? Well, they are open to so many different proposals, but they're going to offer a few for us to think about. They offer really three. First of all, they... They recommend that the federal government create trust funds for asset-building projects. Trust funds for asset-building projects and make these available to uh, the appropriate victims. We'll talk about that in a second. Who are the appropriate victims? But just for now, think of trust funds. Trust fund is basically like a really fun savings account that's just like given to you. You don't. You, it's not your. It's not like you earned the money through working. Like it's set aside for you. Um, your parents can set aside trust funds. Um, institutions can set aside trust funds. In this case, the government is supposed to set aside this like savings account with money already in it for um, descendants of enslaved people and victims of Jim Crow and so on. And so a trust fund is something you can tap into under suitable conditions, maybe when you're the right age, when you have a certain need, like if you want to start a business or go to school, and you can tap into those resources or buy a home homeownership is going to be one of the key things that closes that wealth gap. So they recommend trust funds uh, with, you know, thousands of dollars in them that African Americans can tap into in order to buy homes, make a, make a down payment on a home. They also are open to something like baby bonds, which is like money set aside for um, African American children to use once they graduate again for things like homeownership and other, other things like that. So, Trust funds that would allow people to invest into homes is going to be crucial to their reparations proposal. But having said that, they also strongly advocate for direct cash transfers. Cut the check. So they they think this is essential. Some some people think like, no, we shouldn't just give out money. But for Darity and Mullen, you owe that money. And this is going to be crucial, not not just it's not just that you owe it, but this is going to be crucial for getting historically aggrieved people off their feet and into 
um, positions where they can afford to create wealth, where they can invest, and so on. So what will this look like? Well, there are, how much would it cost? Let's start with that question. How much would the direct uh, cash transfers be? It would be something like $300,000, they estimate, for the appropriate candidates. $300,000. And how would you give this? Well, you could give it as a lump sum. That's a one-time uh, that's a one-time conferral, but they actually recommend that you space it out over the course of various years um, because otherwise you could create a lot of inflation. So they're, you know, look, they're, they're they're well aware of the different economic setbacks that could occur just by giving out three hundred thousand dollars to African American families. So they have it. They think they recommend spacing it out. In any case, direct cash transfers is a crucial part of their reparations proposals. Um, finally, they kind of quickly throw out this idea of endowments for historically black universities or maybe endowments for black community centers. Um, they, they sort of have a, like a quick paragraph where they're like, yeah, this is a good idea where like the government or state governments give endowments. Uh, they like bequeath a, lar a large sum of money to these institutions um, that are, you know, that service and serve predominantly black students or black communities but they but they really are emphatic they're like that's that's not enough like you need to give direct cash transfers to the victims themselves not just in the hands of other institutions and finally the trust funds that's very important so that's the basic skeletal structure of their proposal for reparations. And again, they're open to other things, but they think that these three are going to be really important. And so how do we determine like who the recipients are supposed to be? Well, they advance two criteria. They say, first, U.S. citizens would need to establish that they had at least one ancestor who was enslaved in the United States after the formation of the Republic. So you'd have to show that you had one ancestor who was enslaved. And then second, they would have to prove that they identified, self-identified as black, Negro, Afro-American, or African-American at least 12 years before the enactment of the reparations program or the establishment of a congressional or presidential commission to study and develop reparations for African-Americans, whichever comes first. Um, I think the idea behind the second one that you you have to prove that you identified as black at least 12 years before the enactment of the reparations program. I think the idea is like so that you don't get people who are like jumping on that bandwagon and self-identifying as black just to get the reparations, but who are like legitimately um, identifying that way, passing that way. I think that must be the idea. But, you know, there are different things you can do to show that you have an ancestor who endured slavery. There are censuses from um, the 19th century that you can look to. Um, I mean, of course, there's genealogists who do this sort of work and so on. But it isn't just descendants of slavery who get these benefits. It's also anyone who was around through Jim Crow. And I just want to remind you again that a lot of the injustices that they're they're arguing that we need to make reparations for are not these long gone injustices like of the past like we tend to think of slavery as something that was like like a way long time ago but remember that the wrongs of jim crow are not such f f like long gone history 
And they say something like this in their book. They say that black baby boomers are the living victims of the Jim Crow era. Black baby boomers are the living victims of the Jim Crow era. Remember, Jim Crow like started kind of in the late 1800s and extended basically through the 50s and into the 60s, really, because the 50s and 60s, again, was that civil rights movement, the height of the civil rights movement. And that was a time of segregation. That was a time of disenfranchisement where African-Americans were prevented from all sorts of wealth building opportunities, home ownership, good mortgage loans, um, a time of violence, a time of indignities, a time of um, exclusion from certain job markets. It's just, I mean, super intense. I mean, Dar- like William Darity himself, like if you watch his videos, he'll talk about experiences he's had where his parents were, were reluctant to even take him to go watch a movie that he wanted to watch when he was a boy because they would have to sit in the balcony far away up top in the balcony where the, um, where only African-Americans were allowed to sit. And that is an immense indignity. And he experienced this. So black baby boomers are the living victims of the Jim Crow era. And they argue that black baby boomers also are owed reparations as well for the indignities and injustices that they experience. Who are the black baby boomers? If, if, if you're not familiar with that, well, it's people who were born basically after World War II. These are your grandparents. For some of you, it's your parents, um, but probably most for most of you, it's like your grandparents. Um, uh, for my students, at least. So if you're a student of mine, you're listening to this, it's prob- 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 probably your grandparents. But, but, but really, yeah, some of your... No, man, I mean, I'm going to get my, my dating wrong here, but like some of your parents for sure are baby boomers. So... Um, that's their argument for reparations, and that's how they propose we go about doing it. So would love to hear more about what you think about all this. And all right, let's see. Did I meet? Oh, I'm three minutes over. Okay, I said I'd do 10. I'm three minutes over, and now I'm like dragging this on even longer. So I'm just going to stop right now. See ya.